The name of Jesus has been spoken several times this morning. We've looked to Him. We're here to honor Him. And we're here to look for our hope. Because you see, in life itself has caused disappointments. Life probably hasn't worked out for any of us like we thought it would. But there's one constant. And his name's Jesus. And just as we shared this morning, I think it's a word, a prophetic word, that there are many of us that are tangled and tangled with fear, resentment, disappointment. And it has wrapped around us and has caused us just to be fearful and and really limp and paralyzed. I believe that Jesus is here this morning. I believe the Spirit of God is moving in our midst. And that He is the only power that can, can cut those cords that are around your life. But the only thing is that you have to run to Him. You have to trust Him. And you have to take Him in His Word. And I'll be honest with you this morning. If I could exchange this to know Him, I would do it in a heartbeat. Because to know Him is eternal life. To have fellowship with Him is the sweetest of loves. Is that when He looks you in the face, you look Him in the face, and He begins to look deep down in your heart, and everything that is undone, He makes right. And you see, we walk through these doors, and every one of us has struggles, and we, we are fighting the fight of faith. But I want you to know that Jesus is looking at you, and He is desiring to speak to you. And He wants to give you hope. And then there are those that maybe don't have this relationship with Him. And you're wondering why not. And I don't have an answer for you. Except that I know that Jesus does. And Jesus is right here. Desiring to meet you. This week I read a story and it just kind of caught my attention and I thought I wanted to share it with you this morning and I'll do my best to share it. I've looked over and over and it's really a simple story. I'm a simple person. There's a monk in the past and he, he was living in his monastery and I don't know if it's a true, true story or not. You guys can figure that one out. But he needs olive oil. And he doesn't have an olive tree and he has no olive, so he desires to take this olive sapling and he plants it. And then, you know, monks are next to God. And he prays and asks the Lord, would you send rain upon this olive tree, the sapling, it needs it. And God sends rain. And then he says, Lord, stop the rain. Now will you send some sunlight 
The sapling needs sunlight. The Lord stops the rain. And he brings sunshine. And then the monk cries out and says, Okay, Lord, now the sapling needs frost. Bring frost. And he cries out and God answers his request and brings him frost. And then by the night's end, the sapling is dead. And he's perplexed. He's saying, why, is this, why did my sapling not grow? Why is it dead? And then he goes to his fellow monk in the monastery and he says, what happened? And the other monk replied to him and said, you know what, I did the same thing. I planted a sapling, but you know what I did? I knew the creator of that sapling knew what that olive branch needed. And I let God give it what it needed. You see, is it not so often that we think we have answers for life and we really don't have answers for life and there are times that we just need to hold on. And trust that His purposes are real and they're right. And you see, so often in, in my life is that I'm trying to figure out what God wants and I'm trying to make it happen. And then not only that, I'm trying to do it for others when really what I need to do is just say, God, You created this thing. I've made a mess of it. But You know what I need. And God wants to meet our needs. He wants to meet us where we are at. And we're in the book of 1 John, chapter 4. And we've been going through the book. And I want to kind of read again the scriptures that we read last week, not to add to anything that was preached, but just a continuation and context of scripture to lead us into today's truth. And when we think about the whole book of 1 John, we have to put it into context. Why it was written. And I've said this over and over again, why it was written, so I won't repeat it. And for you that haven't been a part of this series, we do have CDs at the back that you can catch up with us. But this is probably the, my most favorite part of the book of John because I think it says something and it wants, and John is wanting to relay something to the church that is so relevant for us today, no matter where we live, no matter what context of culture that we live in, God wants to speak to us today. And I will do my best to share that with you. And I realized that uh, yesterday as I was going over the sermon and praying for today that uh, it was taking a while, so I hope today it doesn't take so long. But if so, we've got omelets and cake waiting for us. We're okay. But you see, John is the writer of these books. First John, Second John, Third John, and then he's also the writer of the book of John. And in the book of John, he does something different. He shows the Messiah as eternal life. And is the salvation of mankind. And then he's turning the page and he's doing something different. You see, he's writing a letter to the churches at Ephesus, encouraging them. But in the letters of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, the theme is still that of eternal life. Only in these we see its manifestation in the children of God. That is, in those who through faith in the Son of God have received that life. 
So that the theme of the letters is that of eternal life as it is revealed in the children of God as they are under the Lordship of the Son of God. And you see, we talk about this a lot and one of the core values at our church is that we are learners and another one is that we are in authentic relationship with one another and then also that we are servants to our community. And we live in a time and a society that the, the world needs to see the church. And they need to see God through the church. And you see, so let's go ahead and let's start reading in the Scripture. 1 John 4. I'm going to go 7 through 11. And then I'll just talk about the Scripture just real quickly. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And my first point this morning is knowing that you are loved. And it's funny, like this book has repeated itself over and over again. And I could take this scripture and go back to what we've already talked about But I think there's a reason for it. I think God wants to speak something to us. He wants to speak something to His children. And as we learned last week, that God is the definition of love. And really, God is our measuring stick, and that's all we have. And so, if I was to sum up the sermon, which you would probably be really glad that I did, was just to say, this is a test. This is a barometer to see where you're at in your Christian life and if you are in or out and and where you are. And I want you to know this, that love is not God. We live in a society that has made love the ultimate goal and then we don't even understand what true love is. And not only that, through disappointments in relationship with others and and marriages and and different aspects of life and and what you thought love was, it really isn't because love is, is true love. It's unconditional, but you've had people backbite or you've had people walk out on your lives. But it does not change the fact that God is love. And we'll talk about this. And remember a few... Lessons ago, I define love as choosing the good or best for God and others. And if you noticed in that definition, it has nothing to do with you. Look at verses 9 and 10. But this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. 
And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the atonement for our sins. And I don't know where you are at this morning, but this is true love. That one came to die a sinner's death for sinners like you and I. One who did something that I could not do. One that did something that I strive to do, but I continue to fall flat on my face is that He gave Himself up for us. And I always remember that time early on in my faith when I was reading through the Bible and as I was going through the New Te- or the Old Testament, I was like looking for this perfect man. I was looking for one that was perfect before God. And I got to Samuel and I was like, Samuel must be a good guy. And then Samuel fells in some different areas. And then I begin to cry and I'm like, Lord, is there no one who is perfect? In this book that you have given us, is there no one perfect? And then he reminds the new believer that I was and said, yes, I have given one. And his name is Jesus. Perfect. If you go back one chapter with me to chapter 3, verse 1. And I will have to repeat this to you. I will have to repeat this to myself over and over and over again. Because it never gets old. So how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. And the NIV says that He has lavished on us. That we would be called children of God and such we are. And I want you to know that if you have fully accepted Christ... We'll talk about it in just a moment. What that means is that you are a child of God. And you can say that because He has lavished His love on you. Whether you feel it this morning or you don't. It is a fact. And then in verse 16 of 1 John 3 it says this. And I'm only going to read half of it for right now. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. So from God Himself, we learn what true love is. Love is sacrificial. Love is selfless. Love doesn't look out for its own interest, but it looks out for the interest of others. We have a Creator that created us with His image. That has given His everything. That He actually took off His royalty. He took off His Godhead for a moment, if could be. And He came as a man and walked among us. And every one of us in this room, we have a need to be loved unconditionally. And I want you to know that there is only one that can meet that need. And that is the Father Himself. You see, I wake up in the morning with the attitude that, well, maybe I don't, that I'm going to love everybody I see that day. 
And so often, I fall flat on my face. Or how about this? Me and my wife have talked about this a lot. Where God is speaking to us during the day to love your spouse well, and then you go home. (laughs) And it is the total opposite of what you felt the Lord doing in your heart. And you just look at each other like, you know, I do love you. And the Lord told me, and I felt some warm and fuzzy feelings towards you, but now, I don't know. Well, I know, but I just don't feel good. And it's okay, but I want you to know that God is not like that. God does not just sit back and and, and thank the Father, does not just sit back and think, am I going to love my child today, yes or no? No, He loves you unconditionally. And if you need a reminder, maybe you need to get a cross or something and just look at that cross and say, wow, that's love. And for the sake of time, let's move on to point number two. And that is the world should see God through us. And you see in verse 12, it says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And this is where we're going to get into some abiding, abiding, abiding. And I read over and over and over again and I'm just like, whoa, there's a lot about abiding. And I just, okay, I should abide. Sorry about that rant. But I look at this and it says in verse 12, no one has seen God. Because in the Scripture we see it's very clearly that if you see God, you're going to die. It's a very serious thing, but there's something cool that takes place here, but we can easily start with the question when we're looking at this text, how then does God reveal Himself to the world? If no one has seen God, how does He reveal Himself to the world? And I want to challenge us with this, that He reveals Himself to the lives of His children. Men cannot see God, but they can see us. You see, by this, in verse 13 of chapter 4, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. You see, God has birthed in us the ability to be like Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can't stress this enough. That we know what love is because we have been granted at the day of our salvation the gift above all gifts. And on Easter we're going to celebrate this because if it was not for the ascension, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit could not have come as it has come for us today. And has given us the ability to love. And then in verse 14 it goes on, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Remember, the writer of this book 
and the writings that we are to trust and to give our lives to have seen and testified of this salvation. Verse 15 goes on to say, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. He repeats that again in His Scripture. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. And that's where we get this abiding. And you see, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know? And do you believe? Do you know? And do you believe? You see, and I look at this, and I'm I'm thinking about love, and I'm thinking about what Christ said in His prayer. Father, uh, He says, let me go through this prayer real quick. Everybody knows it. Forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. And then it goes on and later it says that, Father, if you do not forgive others, the Father will not forgive you. And you look at those Scriptures and you're just like, wow, that's harsh, Lord. But I think we have the same concept here. And we're going to look at that. Is where is your love meter? How are you loving others? You see, when a man begins to live the life eternal, God gains in him an opportunity to show himself in the shop or at the office where he works, in the circle of men and women among whom he moves. God has the awesome opportunity through you to show himself to a dying world. And part of my calling here this morning is to encourage you. Is how are you doing in the workplace? How are you doing in your communities? How is your life reflecting the Father and the Son? You see, they're not able to see God. But are they able to see God through you? Is His perfect and unconditional love flowing through you? And you see this, this is where I'm really worried because I think us as as believers and as the body of Christ is that the love should have been perfected in us and through us. But too often what happens is you get a group of believers together and they get out in the community and maybe they're not getting along and, or they're doing a project with non-believers and they look at the believers and say, man, you're acting no different than us. I thought you were different than us. Now, I will admit that there are days that, man, I just don't wake up on the right side of the bed. An example for me, because this is very real to me, this, this act of love and what it means, is that I was um, a, a missionary and we'd travel all over and we'd, we would share in churches. And my favorite church, um, which is besides you guys, um, is in Louisville, Kentucky. And I remember going in there and I had a slideshow to, um, to share about Turkey. And I didn't know anything. I'm just walking in there like the awesome missionary that I am. Everybody should like me. And I give the pastor 
And this is a big church. I say, here is the video that I want to show this morning. And he looks at me. And he's like, you should have gave this to me yesterday. And I'm like, you jerk. And then I said, do you not know who I am? (laughs) Just kidding. You know, the flesh. I really didn't think that. I was a little bit hurt. And then he had the audacity that morning to get up and preach to 500 or more people and say, talk about love. And I'm like, you're going to talk about love and the way you just treated me 45 minutes ago? How dare you? And I went home offended. Remember? And I was disappointed. I knew the church had very... You think I'm structured. (laughs) You haven't seen anything. But then I go to find out that his sound guy had not been there. He was out of town. The sound was going haywire. And he has all these things going on. And then a guy shows up and adds one more thing to his plate. And he is freaking out. And then I begin to realize that, man, I don't always understand what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what each other is going through. We don't know what kind of cords are entangling our lives and why we are struggling through, why we're doing and why our love just isn't perfected. And I want you to say it's okay. I want to say it's okay this morning that if you are not perfect, welcome to Cornerstone Church. You're in a good place. But we love each other where we are at. And see, the scary part is when you get to know somebody, oh my, oh my, it's a little messier than what we imagined. But there is someone who rises up within each, every one of those who have called upon Jesus. And He sheds love abroad in our hearts for one another, no matter where we are. Then I want to go on to verse 17 and 18. It says, By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is so also are we in this world. And I look at that and what do you mean as we are as He is in this world and we are being perfected. We are image bearers of the very Son of God to others in this world and that we have a confidence in a future judgment because a judgment is coming. But we have this awesome confidence that we stand before a holy God when it's all said and done. But we are to be His ambassadors in this world. And then it goes on to say, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And I want to ask you this morning, are you perfected in love? Are you walking in fear? And we talked about this in, the, in an earlier lesson or teaching, preaching, that we have confidence before the Father. 
because of what Jesus has done for us. And you see, in perfect love, it casts out all fear. And I want you to know this morning that you can run boldly to the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done for you. There is no fear in the presence of the Father. His love is unconditional. And to go on a side note real quick, is that if you are in any relationships where you fear in that relationship, I want you to take inventory. There's a couple things that can happen in relationship. And I think we can take this. I'm taking a little bit of liberty here. But as I was thinking about it. There's a couple things that happen. When you meet somebody new. Trust is an issue. Isn't it? Trust is a huge issue. I've been thinking about trust a lot lately. And times, there are times that you're just fearful about a relationship. You walk into it, you wonder what agenda they have, what is going on, and you're just like, hey, wait, 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 I have fear, I'm walking away, I've been hurt, I've been in this type of situation before. Or you're fearful if you don't act a certain way that that person will walk away from you. Those are probably relationships that you might want to take inventory. And then there's also another part of this relationship, and I think we can relate it to God, and I think this is an issue for all of us, is there's those relationships that God has brought into your life, and you're struck with fear. And I want you to know that there is a healthy part of that. Because not everybody is safe. But then there's that fear that maybe that isn't from God and that is just there and that this relationship just needs to take time. That there needs to be time invested in that relationship. And then when you see that perfect love, it casts out fear. And I want you to know it's the same with the Father. That you may be fearful, but the more time you spend in His Word, the more time you spend in prayer, the more time you spend fellowshipping with Him and with the brethren, that you, this love which casts out all fear will be gone. Where one day where you will stand on two feet and you know that your feet are on the rock and nothing can shake you. That is the perfect love. And point number three... If you cannot love your brother, you cannot love God. If you cannot love your brother, you cannot love God. And see in John 3 verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. And so you want to know where you're at this morning? Let's look at the Word and let's let it define our lives. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Let's go back to verse 20 of chapter 4. And my daughter is doing a very fine job at doing the slides this morning. Yes. And I just threw a loop into her thing. Oh, it makes a father proud. I'm emotional this morning. 
If I have an ounce of God in me, and I believe I do, when I look at people, I see value. And if I have an ounce of that in my life, which can be very hardened at times, think of a father, how he values his children. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Ouch. You can't say that, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Sorry, I'm musing in my own mind. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And this is the test. Are you loving the brethren? And are you doing what's best for the body? And I want you to know that true love, God is our definition. And that He loves us unconditionally and we should love one another. If the worship team would come this morning. As I was praying about this sermon and just really, if I was to preach it, This last Thursday, I would have been great. Because I really felt like the Lord was speaking some things to me. And I have a few prayers for us. That I've been praying for you. And before we take communion this morning. Is that how are we doing in this body? You see, if I could be honest with you, my prayer for you and and what I would hope that you got out of this morning's sermon is that you would know God's perfect love for you. And if you struggle with it, there's lots of scriptures that you can memorize. But this is my prayer that you would know God's perfect love through Jesus. And if you are struggling with knowing that love, He is the definition. The second is that we would see where we have not fully loved others and not try to justify our actions. And is it not true so often? We're looking at why we're not loving others and then we say, well, this is why. This is why. And how about if we just lay all those this is why down and do our best? And then number three is that we would respond to the Holy Spirit when He asks us to love our brother or sister through an act of kindness. That God would be giving to someone you know that has a financial need. That you would be giving to them a phone call to encourage someone. Or giving your time to help someone who is in need. And see, this is the scary part. When God has spoken to us by the Holy Spirit to do something, so often we just put it down. And then what happens is we stop stop hearing it. And then we just go through life forgetting how to love. But I pray this morning that something will awaken in your heart to love again and love well. If you could stand with me. So this morning, as we get ready for communion, as we've been doing it after the service, because I, I just, I, I, 
the reason why and it's just another reason is because I'm like, man, Lord, if you convict us of something, what a better time to be checking our hearts. There's no better time than right be time right before you take communion. Because we know what the grape juice represents his blood and the bread, his body that was broken for us. So this morning, as you know, that we are now doing it where we are coming and we are taking the communion as you feel led and as you're, you're getting in a reference, a spot of reverence, you come and you take it and do it with your family or as an individual. Or that we will bring the communion to you if you can't come forward. But as you do this this morning, I want you to think and, and be thinking about the sermon. And maybe God is speaking something to you. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to lay something down at the altar. And the cross is there. And this, the Lord's Supper, represents the forgiveness that each one of us can receive. Because there is a new covenant that was made with man through Jesus' blood. And so Paul encourages us this. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He betrayed, was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So as you're ready this morning, I would invite you to come and partake of the Lord's Supper and remember all that He has done for you.